Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you'll get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich, and potentially life altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And on this episode, we have got to discuss a second consecutive win for your Colorado Rockies. After losing seven in a row with the sky was falling down, all things were bad, everything was coming to an end. They pulled back to even at 15 and 15 with a 5-4 to four victory over the Arizona Diamondbacks at exactly the midway point of the season. Uh, wasn't pretty there at the end. The Diamondbacks managed to load the bases up against Daniel Bard, who was one mistake away from blowing the whole damn thing, but it didn't go down that way. A big day for Nolan Arenado at the plate. An interesting day for Rymal Tapia at the plate that I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, Trevor Story continues to rake against the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got to be sick of seeing that guy. A decent day for Matt Kemp at the plate. A lot happened out there in this five to four game, Patrick. What were some of the things that stood out to you first and foremost? It really seemed like a game where Colorado got their groove back now in the ninth inning. Well, I guess they kept what little groove they had left because when you've got no groove, you do not win a ball game like that as you essentially alluded to the fact that one slider in the dirt and it was a tie ball game and we were going to be here even longer than we already were for this nearly four-hour game. I was going to say. Unbelievable. (laughs) It it did not move by quickly to start, but once we hit the seventh inning, it uh, screeched to a, a damn near standstill. But... I like how a lot of people really started to gel with Hampson breaking out a little bit of a one for 21 slump with a, a big old home run there. That looks yeah. great. Arenado, as you said, with the two doubles, two RBIs, the first, as well as that fourth. And he scored what ultimately was the winning run on that pass ball that Carson Kelly kind of mishandled there. And uh, Tapia, too, you know, uh, he, he did not have his groove. Uh, entirely, but he looked good. Fuentes did have his groove. He was a guy yeah. who was grooved in, made some really good defensive plays. He he got himself on the board finally with his first hit, a double, added his second hit. So a lot of a lot of groovy things going on here <laughs> in the second straight night. There, there were a lot of groovy things, and since we're grooving on it, let let's groove on the draft king of the game. Since you brought him up there, it's got to be Nolan Arenado, and it's. You know, you, you would have thought we would have handed it to him more. I think this is only the second time he's been the draft king of the game. I doubt it will be the last in the final 30 here that we're going to have. But uh, as you mentioned, and as the broadcast had mentioned too, you know, it's his first extra base hit on the road of the season there uh, early, which just blows your mind to think that that could be true. Uh, to drive in the first run of the game, he drives in, uh, what ends up being, you know, the winning run uh, there late. And so this is the Nolan Arenado you expect. This is the guy you think is going to come through in those spots. And there were still uh, a couple of little things. He had in that bat, I want to say, in the fifth or the sixth, after Tapia was hit uh, to lead off the inning, where he fired away at that first pitch out of the zone when Tapia had the bag stolen. 
And it was interesting because you could see he was frustrated at himself for having done it. And, and he knows that when he's going well, he's willing to sacrifice that pitch, maybe falling in to let Tapia take that bag, unless he really thinks he's going to hit it. But then he had a very similar situation his next time up. And he immediately took a sinker right down the middle uh, to allow Trevor story to successfully steal the base. And uh, I thought that that showed that Nolan is focused and locked in right now on what, on those little things you're, your phrase you talking about doing all the little things right. That was Nolan going an immediate bat at bat later and saying, I'm going to do all the little things right. I have to wonder if, if some of Nolan's comfort, again, it's just a two-game sample size. Obviously, he's very capable of, of doing what he did over these last two nights, going three for nine with the two doubles. But he's familiar with Story hitting in front of him this this past season at, at least, right? He's familiar with there being one uh, – one of those guys on base in front of him, whether it's Charlie or, or whoever, and batting third, getting up in that first inning. So, you know, I'd be curious to know if it was just a matter of saying, look, uh, Nolan, what what do you need right now? What, what do you think would help you snap out of it? And I'm saying, you know what, I, I want to hit third. I want to be that guy, and I just feel comfortable in that spot. And it was a game like a handful of other games in Arizona – Trevor Story on first base, looking to take a bag. That was his comfort zone, and he came through in that clutch in that seventh inning with that double. And as you said, it, it just you you beginning to see him kind of just become himself, come back to normalcy a little bit. You know, miss a pitch, take a pitch, maybe when you don't want to, but those kind of things happen. Ultimately, the end result was positive, and you got to like the fact that okay, maybe we're going to see Nolan Arenado really start to come back into the fold here for the second half surge. Yeah, that that would be my expectation, that he will be your draft king of the game on several more occasions. And again, remember to use that promo code DNVR there on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I mentioned it earlier, uh, but I do want to talk while we're on the offense. It might seem strange. Look, Trevor Story went uh, two for four with that triple that was absolutely blistered into the gap. He scored a couple of runs. He drew a walk. He stole a base. He's Trevor Story. He does the things. He's he's awesome in Arizona. Uh, he, he continues to be an engine that drives the team. I was very amused with Brian Altapia's at-bats today because this was like the, the B-level Ryan Altapia that I had been expecting and that I saw throughout the entirety of his minor league career that we haven't seen. We've seen basically at the major league level, A-level Rymel Tapia. People forget about, but we have seen it at times in 2017 and 2018 when he's gotten into a groove and, and really hit well. And then we've seen F-level Rymel Tapia when he's striking out way too much or he's grounding out to the second baseman on the very first pitch of the at-bat. That's that's the worst of, of top, right? And what we saw tonight was he didn't have the spraying the ball around, hitting line drives thing going. No base hits, 0 for 3 with a walk and a hit by pitch. And didn't score a run, anything like that. He's going, why are we talking about Ryan Altapia? Well, he saw close to 30 pitches on the evening. Saw nine in the first at-bat of the game. Uh, he's swinging at strikes. He's mostly laying off of balls. That walk that he drew there late, uh, even though it didn't end up coming around, that's that's big stuff. Um and that he has settled into that leadoff spot. And I talked a little bit about it uh, when you went around yesterday, Patrick, about him being a pest. 
that old thing that we talked to John Gray about, right? That that's what he was for the Rockies tonight. Maybe it didn't come through in, in the box score the way you might think, but he was annoying the hell out of Arizona pitching, and that was paying off, even if it was in the hitters that followed. Look at the big numbers for Story and Arenado right after him. Well, that's what a crab is, El Cangrejo, just kind of nipping at your heels, bugging you enough where you might not do serious damage. And, and Tapia just isn't that player right now in his career. He may never be. Uh, we have seen him be very dangerous uh, late in ball games, coming off the bench. He has provided that pop. But in the starting lineup, doing what he's been doing at the leadoff spot is just nipping at heels. And you're right, even when the the box score shows 0 for 3 with no runs, well, that's what you should be doing is setting the table to score runs. You failed at that job. You were successful in other areas, such as taking the pitches and, and just, just running that count up. And then when you do get on base, forcing that pitcher to throw over, we saw that when he got hit by a pitch, there was about at least three throws over the first base. Um, and get used to that, folks, because when Zach Allen pitches in the series, oh, um, man. We're, we've, we've got some more of that. That, that should potentially be tomorrow uh, for, for Wednesday's game. They don't handle the run game well, do they? <laughs> that, that is yeah. their only strategy is throw to first base a lot. Yeah, precisely. So, so Tapia, you know, he, he did enough of those things to, again, be, be that pest. And I think that is uh, a fitting name and a, and a complimentary name, again, because – because that's what that's what you want to do. Even if you're, you're a superstar player, you're you're a pest in some shape or form. Whether it's because you're you're taking a, a big chunk out of someone's heel uh, when you're a great white shark like like Nolan Arenado, or when you're uh, when you're a crab, you can still do plenty enough damage and and require the the other team stitches. And and that's a little bit of what Tapia did tonight. A very El Cangrejo type uh, performance out there for him. Uh, they gave Charlie Blackman the treatment in this one that they gave Nolan Arenado in the first game, walked him a couple of times with some opportunities. So basically they weren't going to let Charlie Blackman beat them. Uh, Matt Kemp did come through early with a double. Actually he hit the ball hard several times tonight. He hit the ball hard, really hard in the first game of the series, just right at the left fielder at one point. So, um, you know, he had been in that slump there for a while. I see people battling right now about whether or not Matt Kemp should still be DHing, whether he should just be DHing against lefties or just at Coors Field since he's gone cold. Now I've seen here in these last couple of games him hitting the ball real hard. I'm inclined uh, to continue to let him at least DH against lefties if it was up to me. Obviously it's not. Um, but, you know, I'm not uh, – I, I honestly, this is one of those debates right now that I don't have super strong feelings about one way or the other. I'm maybe as inclined to let it see it play out for a few more games here, but I do think Kemp has something to offer the team. And we saw it again tonight with some hard hit balls, uh, one of which drove in a run, could have driven uh, a second one if, if Blackman didn't have maybe that quad issue. I don't think they want to push it there in the first inning probably would have waved him around any other time. If it's a postseason game, you're waving Charlie Blackman around there. And I think he scores another run off of that Matt Kemp double in the first. So uh, I'm not ready to bench Matt Kemp. Without a better option to be batting fifth right now, you know, there's, there's really nothing that you can do. And, and in an ideal world, you know, you use the designated hitter as a spot just to keep guys fresh uh, get guys, you know, uh, off the field and, and a, an opportunity at the plate, like Charlie Blackman again with the quad issue. You know, you say, all right, let's give him the day off 
tomorrow or the day game after another night game and you keep him in the lineup with the DH. Frankly, right now there's not enough guys hitting in the lineup. You know, David Dahl's on the IL, so he's yep. a guy you don't have to worry about playing time. Now you've got Hampson and Tapia playing regularly every day. Um, Hilliard's been been coming in late and whatnot, so you don't really have this glut of of offense coming through. And with Daniel Murphy really starting to struggle at the plate as of late, right? Isn't that isn't that number five hitter that's really stretching your lineup out? I mean, again, Josh Fuentes is his first start of the year, and he's in there batting sixth, right? And so that right. that and that has really more to do just with the guys beneath him in the lineup because the the rest of those guys just really aren't performing. So do you want you know, your top prospect and Brendan Rodgers coming up in those big spots and potentially failing and you know what that does to his psyche? Or are you more comfortable with Josh Fuentes and how he deals with those moments? And you've got your answer there. You, you, you want Fuentes to have to grind through that than Rodgers. You're still kind of handling it with kid gloves, which you know, has been frustrating, I think, to some folks. Uh, but I think you know, for the second half of, of the season, one month, uh, we are going to see a lot more of Rodgers at second base. More McMahon at first, same with uh, Fuentes at first, and McMahon at second base, and and much like uh, you know you mentioned the other day, it could be Daniel Murphy as as the guy that ends up you know leaving town here at the trade deadline in the next couple of days. Yeah, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all, and honestly, I, I hope they can pull it off. It almost just makes too much sense, and uh, you know I wanted to weigh in on this Arenado goat. Uh, talking about saying pulling Rogers for McMahon was annoying. At some point, Rogers needs to be the guy. This was another one I was 50 50 on. Uh, I, you know, I try to make these calls in, in real time along with the managers. I'll, I'll do it with calls in the field too, because I'm so hard on umpires. I'll try to call out safe ball strike. And then I'll look at the thing and I'm wrong a lot, by the way, that's part of the point. It's very difficult. Uh, and then probably the same thing with these managerial decisions, right? I, my first thought once the bases got, you know, were loaded up there and, and then um, it, it was, a, it was kind of difficult for Josh, man. He had two really good hits in the game, but his two at bats that were the, of the biggest impact he struck out in, um, you know, that, that that's, but I think he's going to iron that out. I don't think it was, you know, we got caught up in the moment either. He got pitched some really great pitches both times, Um but after the Fuentes strikeout, you know, the base is loaded, two outs there, and you need Brendan Rodgers to come through, right? And I'm thinking, actually, this is a good spot for the kid. Let's see what he can do here. And uh, then they go to McMahon to get the left on right bat. Also, McMahon has been, you know, hitting the ball with some real thump lately. And it's tough, man, because you're trying to win the baseball game in front of you. And as Patrick and I talked about coming into this series, these games matter almost more than Dodger games. If you're being realistic and, and honest with yourself, especially at this point of the season, you have got to beat the Diamondbacks and Padres as many times as the game is in front of you. And at that point of the game, it's right there in front of you. And you want to develop Brendan Rodgers. You, you, you don't, I hate, and, and I, I'm, I agree with you here because I hate what it probably did. There's no way to, to, tell the kid I'm not taking this at bat away from you because you are you're, you know, that, that could have been a big moment. And if he comes through there, if Brendan Rogers comes up and puts a ball in the gap and clears the bases and gets to be the hero, that could, yes, that could be the thing that gets him going. And, and I'm, and I'm, yeah, 
But if he strikes out there again, does it send him even further into a, a spiral or or whatever else is going on? So this was a tough call, Patrick, and Bud Black had to make it in the span of about three minutes or less. Yeah, I think it was the the right call ultimately because yes, there's there's much bigger fish to fry, you know, to to use another term there, where you you just have to win the ball game and. You know, Ryan Castellani, after last night's performance, you know, getting getting the win in, uh, in his hometown ballpark, so to speak, there, uh, growing up in Arizona after the age of 10, you know, he, he answered a question like, you know, were you ever having those doubts when you had to repeat double A and, you, you know, you were struggling last year at triple A? And there was really no doubts. Like, yeah, I'm a major leaguer. I know what I am. I know what my, my value is. I just need to make sure I... I do the things I do well, and if I do that, I'm going to have success, and I'm going to have some really solid seasons. And then once you get to that that level, you you go for the next step, whatever it is. You know, we've talked to so many young players in the clubhouse where they say, "All right, I've made it to the big show now, and I've I've had had my time." Fuentes, Hilliard's uh, Hilliard and Fuentes said that last year, um, basically saying exactly that of like, "Well, now I I want to be." I want to be an everyday player. Like that's the the jump that you make. So for Brendan Rodgers, he's in the exact same boat where he knows he's a big league ball player. And yes, he he wants to be an all star and and he wants to do some major things in the game. But he's got to you know learn how to walk, you know, before he can run. And right. part of that process is that where you get at bats taken away from you and you got to earn it. It's, it's not gonna real. It's not gonna ruin his confidence in any way from, from one at bat. I mean, the dude was the third overall pick. He was a stud at a high school, didn't go to college. Brendan's he's, pretty confident. He's, yeah, he's been one of the best ball players on, on just about every single team he's ever played on, and now he's in the big leagues, so it stands to reason that there's going to be better ball players on that team you know, with him. So he's, he's going to be okay. He's going to be fine, but you, know, you understand that the more at bats, the more opportunities he gets, the better off he'll be in the long run, but... Do you want do you want Rogers to be better, or do you want the Rockies to be better? Because that's right. that's ultimately the question that Bud Black answered with that pinch hit uh, by McMahon in, uh, late in the game. Yeah. And McMahon put together a really good at bat. Uh, the the first two pitches to him were nearly perfect. He fell behind 0-2 and ended up drawing a walk. He got a couple of fastballs he could have hit there, but uh, ended up doing a nice job. And so it, it's hard to fault the manager. I get why people are frustrated about the Brendan Rogers thing. It's everyone's caught in a in a tough spot there a little bit, but ultimately I think it's all going to pan out fine. You know, uh, I see some people worrying about the Rockies' development of the young players in general, and there's a, a broader conversation that we can have more in depth as we move throughout the week and the season, to be sure. But as Patrick was just laying out there, you know, if you're if you're going to reach the ultimate conclusion that the Rockies are ruining Brendan Rodgers here. Mm, that that's where that's where we pump the brakes. This kid is not getting. This guy is just too good to get ruined by. You know, it's a weird season. Everything is strange. Everyone's got to do some stuff they're not necessarily used to right now. He'll be fine. Yeah, and I think one thing that should be said about Brendan Rodgers is that he is not a lock to be a perennial All Star. He still has a lot to prove to make that jump. He right. is he's he's a pro ball player. Like there's no two ways about it. He you know, if you were get to see him up close and personal against even some division one, you know, players, 
it, it would be night and day, and you're like, wow, this guy's D1. He's playing for Arizona State. But you see what Brendan Rodgers does at the plate, in the field, at second, at short. You could, Heck, you could even throw him in left field, and he might even be better defensively than you know some Golden Spikes Award considerations in the outfield because he's just that kind of an athlete, and he's got that kind of presence about him. But he does need to prove something. And, right. you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is hard. He, he is kind of stuck in that middle where, you know, he was taken right after guys like Dan, Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman. And you go, well, if you're third, you should be just as good as those guys. But, you know, we see it year in and year out. If you go and look up, you know, the, the, the first round or even the first five rounds, there's plenty of guys who never even sniff the major leagues, let alone – actually come to fruition and become a star so he still has a lot to prove but he is he's a major league ball player there's no two ways about it yeah absolutely so if you want to sharpen up your mind so that you can make these kinds of decisions right along with bud black and the gang and i suppose with us well then you got to get it sharpened up at msu denver online they got all kinds of fantastic classes and courses whether you're starting out a new degree, you're finishing up an old one, you just want some extra skills for your life to go out there and tackle the world, well, check out msudenver.edu slash online. They've got responsive teachers. They know how to do this whole internet education thing. They're not just now figuring it out. It's all set up for you in this 21st century internet world that we're all living in. You can get it Fitting into your schedule, if you're a working person that's just trying to get a little extra education, that's one of the best things about it is how much it fits into your schedule. So again, check them out at msudenver.edu slash online, and I'll tell you the perfect study companion for whatever course or class that you're taking there at MSU Denver, and that is, of course, Breckenridge Brew. You got to have yourself a nice, cool avalanche amber ale try to help out the hockey team there they needed a little bit nuggets rallied we saw that omar go nuggets that was an incredible basketball game they're gonna need a couple of more you don't want to see them needing that kind of late thing but uh you probably needed a brew or two after that again i've been on the avalanche amber kick as of late because it's super, super tasty, and because we've got a 15-can pack of them. And 15-can packs, as you all know, are objectively better than 12 packs. You can get those things at pretty much any liquor store or King Supers that you can find, or you can go on down to the farmhouse, call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. and use code DNVR to save 5 bucks on both your food and your beer when swinging by Tell them Drew and Patrick from DNVR Rocky sent you, and uh, just enjoy yourself some some Breck Brew. It's always a good time. I submit that if if a Baker's dozen is thirteen, a Breckenridge dozen has to be fifteen. It's fifteen, yeah, obviously. Like the Breck dozen, yeah, exactly. I love it. We'll have to swing that by them. We'll see what they think. Uh, well, we'll also have to uh, get our guy John Snodgrass back on. I'm not sure how many people saw our half of an interview that got totally cut off because we were having internet problems. We'll have him back, but he, he had a nice uh, concert the other night on a uh, local TV sponsored by Breck Brew. So these guys are everywhere, man. They're doing good stuff. Uh, all right, on to the pitching in this one. And we'll start at the end there because we've 
We've got to talk about <laughs> this Daniel Bard and the closer and the whole thing. Though I want to get to this question because I think it's really interesting coming in from our guy Flame saying, a quick point in the ninth, Marte takes seconds, uh, takes second with two outs, right, on the uh, defensive indifference. I was screaming for them to balk him to third. No, and I assume that your reason, though you haven't stated it, is so that Marte is not in a position to steal the catcher's signs. That seems to me the only reason you would do that. But I actually can't think of a reason why that's a bad idea off the top of my head. I mean, if you're if you're granting second, we're granting that the run doesn't matter, right? And so, yeah, it, if it's just as advantageous, it's, yeah, I actually think that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, you you could go either way on that. I I think maybe uh, my old school mentality is just you you don't want a guy on on third base in a one run ball game because if you put one in the dirt. Man, that is not good. And you've got one of the best behind the plate in Tony Walters, so I like that confidence there. Well, and it should be it was a two-run ball game at the time, right? Before he came in, so it's two runs. So if, if you've got a two-run oh, that's right. lead, that's right. if you've got a two-run lead, would you purposefully balk the guy to third? I think so in that situation, yes. You're right. I, I, I'd forgotten that's... that it was, it, was, it was still 5-3 at that point. And yeah. you saw Kenley Jensen, Kenley Jensen do that. Uh, a couple years ago in a game where he, he, he didn't even know how to balk. He was just like, just go to third base. Like, he's like, what do I got to do here? What do I got to do? And then he the finally, illegal move? I think it was Jason Hayward maybe even, but it was just a situation where again, That's... yeah, I don't want you taking my signs. Yeah. And in an age in which that is very, very common. Um, and even with all the COVID-19 business and whatnot going on, look, teams are still trying to win it. Didn't matter that going into tonight's game, you know, Arizona had lost six straight. They want to win this ball game, so they had an opportunity to do that because, yeah, wild pitch, pass ball. Okay, that run goes in by four. You're still winning the ball game, but right. with Marte on second base giving signs to the batter, two run home run now tie ball game. Right. So that balk is not so bad after all, right? Yeah, that's. I would totally start doing that. I would absolutely start doing that. Now, of course, Bard ended up issuing a couple of walks and loading the bases anyway. <laughs> so they could peer in all they want at the signs. Uh, there were there were three Diamondbacks on the bases giving signs at that point. So it's just... Relaying stuff back Yeah, they were crowdsourcing. Like, here's what I saw, here's what I saw. But it was still wasn't enough. Bard got the job done. Yeah, yeah, he was battling his command a little bit, certainly more than he did in the first game of the set. Uh the cardinal sin to to come in and walk the leadoff man uh, right as the broadcast is just singing glowing praises about how you've only walked one guy all year. That's bound to happen. Uh, but still, you could you could see like he missed his spot by feet, not inches, a couple of times. Uh, but he was able to dial it in and, and really seemed to have the feel for uh, the changeup early, and then started to trust enough in the fastball there uh, to get some big ones up and buy some guys. Honestly, the the hit to David Peralta, that's just a, a it's a phrase that people have started to make fun of for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it was a great piece of hitting uh, from David Peralta on a fastball up and out away from him. He just kind of threw the bat head that way. Sometimes that's going to be a line out right to the left fielder or the third baseman. Sometimes it's going to drop in. It did for 
the run that the Diamondbacks ended up scoring off of Bard. So while he didn't pitch especially well, and obviously the walks uh, are concerning the command issues, certainly you're not concerned about, oh, is this going to send him back toward Yips, or is this going to be a confidence thing, or even do you strip him of the de facto closer position as of right now, I think the next save opportunity, maybe not the next one now that I, I'd have to see how many pitches he's thrown the last couple of days, but given him being everyone healthy, Daniel Bard, I think gets the next save opportunity. I think so too. You know, the most important spot in the game, you know, besides the one in which the bases were loaded uh, in a one run ball game, which is, one this is that a he great created. comment. Sorry from ACL. He was literally yeah. a mental skills coach. I trust him mentally. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that's what it is. Once you just get past that hurdle, that's why there are those psychological coaches. I think, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to blow up the, the team, but I know when I, uh, I, I do enjoy going into the visitors clubhouse just to kind of see the mood and see how it's different. And there was one team that besides having, you know, uh, now that I think about it, uh, they had a you know a, a table set up in the breezeway, you know, next to and and behind the dugout with computers and stuff. And they had you know two different you know massage therapists, and they had a mental you know skills coach there. You know they they had a lot of money to do those things, and uh, I'll leave it at that. But you know Bart is is going to be the guy to go to because really the biggest spot before the bases loaded there. Uh, was in the seventh when you had Marte and Marte coming up like that. And so who was the guy they go to? Carlos Estevez. Right. So again, that's that's that Scott Olberg role where you say, all right, you know what? We You don't need your best closer to get the final outs in your ninth. You need your maybe your mentally strongest one to do that in the ninth. Totally. But you yep. need the guy who has the best stuff to get the best outs in the, you know, the most integral parts of the game. And we saw that with Estevez in the seventh. Some... Some folks could be watching the game and they say, well, that guy needs to be your closer. And I would argue, well, then who needs to be your seventh inning guy? Because anybody else in that spot, you blow that game and you don't even have a lead in the ninth inning. So, you know, obviously you'd like to for Bard to, to be a lot cleaner. And, you know, we're, we're going to see probably five or six guys get an opportunity at saves this year. I think we're already at four. So, I think we'll we'll see six. You know, Kinley could be the next guy out, but an, until a guy really, really craps the bed, uh, I I don't I don't think we're gonna be going away from Bard, you know, just yet. I think it'll yeah. probably happen, but not just yet. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. But yeah, the, that over just take the over on whatever number of closers you you think it's gonna be. So continuing to work backwards, there you mentioned. Kinley, uh, another nice outing for him, uh, continuing to get further and further away from that extreme implosion that he had against these Diamondbacks at Coors Field. Uh, pitched an inning, did walk a guy, a couple of big strikeouts there with, again, that that nasty slider that he throws. Uh, Carlos Stevitt. Oh, he go picked ahead. up Tapia, right? He picked up Tapia on that one ball. That's right. It was such an in-betweener where, you know, Still. if he was going in on that ball harder – he very easily could have hurt himself. I don't. I don't know, as a professional, how you get past that hurdle. I mean, I I I lean towards pitching when I played because it wasn't until after my career was over that my father told me, "Yeah, no, you got hit in the chest once with a ball." I said, "What?" It's like, "Yeah, the ball was coming in and you opened your body up and it hit you in the chest." And ever since then, you were kind of afraid of 
getting hit by the ball. So that pretty much wiped away any potential I have of being a real serious hitter outside of a couple years here and there where I, I found a groove. But you got to get past those hurdles. And Tapia kind of came up short. He realized where the wall was. He had more space. But it was still an in-betweener that even if he would have caught the ball, it could have been hurt. And you go, well, that really wasn't worth it. So yeah. in the end, it was great that Kinley was able to you know, ultimately pick him up with those two strikeouts in the inning. And hey, no harm, no foul. Yeah, absolutely. Because where it fell, you're going, oh, man, you, <laughs> you know, you're like, but but you're right to point out that it's a more difficult play uh, to make. And and another thing I think guys are going to have to start learning how to uh, jump and catch and fall into the netting. And that's going to be like a whole thing they're going to have to learn. Uh, and like you said, that's like a mental hurdle they're going to have to get. How do you practice that? They're literally going to have to like practice jumping into the netting because that I think would have been his best play there. Because if he's going in full steam, like you said, his knees are gonna, his legs are gonna get hit by the the hard part of the barricade low, and he needs those things. <laughs> and and a sliding play does the same thing where right. he very easily could could jam his knee or, or his ankle, and it's not pretty. Right. Uh, you mentioned Estevez getting the job done, working around the base hit that he gave up. He continues to look like he's locked in now. We talked. Very early in the season when he was getting a lot of use that he was getting decent but not great results and the stuff wasn't at his max stuff. His stuff is at his max stuff now. His last couple times out, he's sitting 98. He missed his spot with his fastball a couple of times in a more hittable location to guys like, I think he threw one to Peralta that was almost right down the middle. But it was at 98 and it did this. <laughs> so it's just, you know, like, well, you're not going to hit that very often unless you're absolutely on it. So good stuff again from Estevez. Yeah, and I like where Jairo Diaz was there in the sixth inning to, to build his value back up. You think it's kind of, you know, he, he, he took the shoot down and now he's got to climb the ladder, That's, you know, back up yep. to that spot. But he did it once before already. And, and the fact that he's going to Diaz in the sixth and not somebody else, there, there are other options there, but you say, no, no, this is a, this is a three, three ball game. This is an important spot. Diaz, I, I need you to be, you know, a closer in the sixth, having that, that mentality He gave up the one hit, but again, he and got his job done. Ridiculous hit that, that was one of the most absurd things doubles i've ever seen in my life because there's a two strike count and diaz uncorked a slider that was going to hit the dirt before it, it got to tony walters it was going to hit the dirt but nick ahmed and look sometimes sometimes guys put a great swing on a great pitch and it produces a good result for them and you have to tip your cap we saw todd helton do this to guys for years uh you know joey botto has, has done it uh, to the Rockies, a lot of somebody I think of with like a Batman. In. But Nick Ahmed stepped in the bucket and stuck, stuck his butt out and, and threw. He might as well have literally thrown his baseball bat at that pitch. I don't know how he managed to hit it the way he did just over Story's head and into center field. And because of the way the outfield was situated, Hampson had to get over there pretty quickly. It was a tough play. I do think even then the throw might have beat him but Rogers trying to very quickly catch it and tag at the same time couldn't quite hold on to the baseball. And so you've got a guy on second to lead off your inning when you're trying to reclaim your ability as a dominant closer in this force and you're coming in, you're like, really? That I've got a guy in scoring position with nobody out. 
after I just threw one of my best pitches and dude closed his eyes and that happened one, you know, and, and he worked out of it. He was nails, man. He got some big strikeouts and that was huge. That was huge for Diaz. That's, that's like, you know, you, you turn the shower on, you got the cold spray coming at you, your body's just shocked, but now you're awake. That seems to be Jairo Diaz, his, his <laughs> modus operandi. Right. He's like, all right, I got a guy on second base. I'm chomping on this gum. It's, you know, I got a big wad that I'm chewing on. Let's do this now. And he excels in that role where, you know, he, he walked that tightrope, you know, far too many times. And, and that's why you're not seeing him in the ninth right now. But, you know, he was, he's been successful his entire career doing that. Maybe a little bit as luck, or maybe that again, you, you just pull from your life experiences and say, look, when I'm, when I need to be my sharpest, it, it's when I, when I have to be, if I don't, you know, we, we see that plenty of times where guys just don't have their best stuff. It, it was mentioned on the broadcast with Archie Bradley, the, the, the Diamondbacks had lost six straight. So he just hasn't been pitching. So you go, all right, go out there and, and see what you can do in the ninth. And if he gave up four runs, you go, well, it wasn't a safe situation. You understand why that happens. Right. So, you know, for Diaz, he needs a guy on base or else he really just can't operate. It's, it's like the first cup of coffee in the morning. It, yeah. Just yeah. Like, don't yeah, don't right. talk Your to me until I've had my... Yeah. yeah. He should have a mug. It, it doesn't say, you know, don't talk to me until I have my first cup of coffee. It just says, hey, coach, don't put me in until there's a guy on second base. Yeah, that, right. That should be his mug. Seriously. But that slider, the, the slider he threw to Cole Calhoun, I think is illegal in Utah. I don't think you're allowed to do that. Like that's, that 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 was that was abusive. <laughs> I, it was, it, it you see when he's got it going, why people have been like this guy can be a closer, and then when he misses his spots and allows way too many base runners, you really go why they had to take that job away from him until he earns it back. <laughs> yeah, speaking of illegal and Cole Calhoun, we almost saw it again on that final play where he broke up the double play, and you go, oh yeah, uh, is this game gonna end on a? On an overturn review there, so uh, that He's guy an interesting is a ball player. Yeah, I yes. like. I actually, I like Cole Calhoun. I, I yeah. thought the, I loved the fact that he one hundred percent admitted. I don't know if you heard that to to purposefully jumping and trying to hit the ball with his head. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah of course, what? Of course, didn't you see what I did? And the I funny did. thing is, if they didn't make that call. I don't know how, how upset Buddy would have gotten. You, you, you put up a fight, and you go, yeah, I mean, of course, you don't really throw your head. And you know what? If he didn't throw his head into that ball, it still was going to hit him. Right. You know, like if he had actually just turned his head around, it would have hit him in the helmet almost in the exact same spot. It was really only the fact that he knowingly was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I want this. That it, 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 it became that issue, so... Uh, yeah, we got at least two more games in this series to see what else Cole Calhoun can do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we do have to wrap this thing up talking about the man who started the game, oftentimes where we begin, but uh, I wanted to finish out here. And actually, before I say anything, Patrick, I want to just get your take on Herman Marquez's performance today. Uh, Let me just put the numbers out there really quick. Yeah, pitched five innings, six hits, three earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts. Gave up a couple of home runs. Yeah. You know, he he wasn't necessarily in that group for guys who got their groove back, but he did look better than his last time out against Houston at sure. Coors Field where when five innings gave up, you know, ten runs. Ten, uh, ten of them, yeah. Ten. He, he looked a lot better in that fifth inning where he, he knew that was going to be it. 
you know, so his, his pitch count still got up to 95. So, you know, the, the end result, you know, was not a, a quality start, but, you know, kept his team in the game, didn't really have great command of his fastball, it seemed like, as his off-speed pitches were, you know, a little bit better. Um, it was a step forward, but, you know, a, a player of his caliber, you know, should be able to, I, I don't want to say should be able to, but it's not a shock if they get shelled one game because they just really have this, you know, lapse in, in performance and just kind of, you know, almost are, they're sick and tired of it. They want to be taken out, but no, you got to finish what you started. We, we talked about that last, yeah. uh, last week for that game, um, should be able to bounce back and snap back and go. Okay, I'm I'm back to being the ace. You you want to be able to see that, and he he's not quite there yet. You know he didn't get it, but he did get a lot closer to, you know what what we expect out of him. And you know he's he's poised to, to to do well back at home against San Diego where he's going to need to. So I think it's a nice you know maybe baby step for you know what he's going to almost certainly need to do this weekend at Coors Field. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. Let me tell you what bothered me. Hmm. He's given up, like, he's battling Marte and Marte and Calhoun and Peralta. He's given up homers. to Now, Christian Walker is is good hitter, and he's had the Rockies number a little bit, though. He's all great. Three he's of his so underrated. Runs. Yeah, like, it, and I've probably been guilty of underrating him before in the past, but uh, it does hurt a little bit that he has all of his home runs this season against the Rockies, but okay. The, and the pitch, but the, the, the pitch he threw to Walker was a 94 mile an hour fastball inside by three or four miles an hour, the slowest fastball he threw in the game. It was a get me over. Like I'm searching for my command when, when they talk about your placing instead of throwing or pitching, he tried to place a fastball by a power hitter when he can throw 98. And to me, that shows again, what I was frustrated with Marquez about last time laps in focus. He's given up a home run to signer of the declaration of independence and author of the federalist papers, John Jay, who's hitting a buck 33 on the year because he hung a curveball after falling behind in the count to two wild fastballs that were nowhere close. And to me, again, that suggests lack of focus. And you can't lose your focus on the bottom part of the lineup and uh, after having given up 10 runs in your last game. So you're right. I mean, like, I'm totally with you. It's a step forward. I think he's going to come out and do better the next time. But I was hoping for a little bit more of an in-your-face, nine-strikeout, seven-inning performance out of Herman Marquez. And, yeah, Asiel, he, he's, I pointed out as much as anybody, he's still only 25, and, and the maturity seems to be an issue to some extent, you know, to, to whatever you know, the guy's incredible. Uh, and and he pitched well enough to win the ball game. He kept his team in it despite having command issues. But I, again, I want to see that competitive bulldog thing. He looked angry coming off the hill in the fifth, finally. And Drew Butera ran up to him and said, hey, good job, probably for striking out Nick Ahmed to get out of a, a potential jam there at the end. But I almost want Butera to not say a word to him. I almost want no one to say, like, 
Let him sit in that. I'm glad he was mad walking off the hill, having only given up three runs, but in five innings, and you know your day is done, and you know you're better than that. So I I hope that sits with him for a minute. It's interesting that you bring up Butera because he didn't have his guy, Tony Walters, behind the plate. So you, you think about what kind of difference that makes. And I don't think it makes all that much difference, right, because it could be that maturity issue where he needs to have that fire um, in him to say, wow, I just blew up my ERA. Well, guess what? With a bonkers performance tonight, I can gain a lot of that back. I can get on my path. And there's no saying that he didn't have that in his mind, but just did not have you know what he needed to have in order to, to set down this this Diamondbacks order, particularly, you know, if you if you make bad pitches, you know, these professional hitters are going to make you pay. Yeah, yep. there's there's two home runs. John Jay though hadn't hit a home run since July of 2018. 2018. 1776. Last year. Yeah, it's been yeah. he was due. He was really due. Fourth yeah. of July, 1776 <laughs> was the last time John Jay had hit a homer uh, like that. So, but but that's going to happen. Certainly, the Walker one you understand, but the three walks is. That's where you go, ah, you got to yep. be better than that. So yep. step in the right direction, but you you want more from a guy that is supposed to be your ace. And a guy who's, you know, in the National League, he's tied for going into tonight. That was his 100th start tonight. It was his 100th start as a major league. He's played 103 wow. games. But since he's made his um, debut, only five pitchers in the NL have made more starts than him. Like to give you that perspective of how much he's the guy that they run out. And he missed the final five weeks, five, six weeks last season. So that gives you an idea of like how much experience that he's had at such a young age. So that potential is not just potential that you hope for him to get to. It's like, he's already been there. It's just the potential is, can he get there every single start? And the fact that he didn't, you know, today or tonight just tells you he still has a little bit more ways to go with that maturity. Yeah, but that's even a good sign, too, because if you can win games when he pitches a C-plus version of a Herman Marquez game and you can go out and beat your divisional opponents when you're still reeling a little bit from what was an awful week and a half of baseball and you need these wins and you did still have some things go against you they probably should have had three or four runs in the first inning instead of the two that they got um you know a couple oh one thing i want uh, as i'm talking about things that almost went against them real quick shout shout out you know i had a really good game tonight patrick lyons no who rob drake well i thought when you stopped it's short I was go. All right, we got a Rob Drake thing, but then you said good, and I was like, okay, scratch that guy off my list. You know what he did? He did no issues. You're right. There was a weird. There was a weird thing with a with a timeout with Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp, yeah. Uh, There were a couple of pitches that I was like, "Mm, come on, don't give him that. But they were all within the normal realm of ah, that's a little or ooh, he kind of hit. That was in the zone, but the guy missed his spot by so much. And, you know, those things. There was nothing egregious. There was nothing. So I think it's worth pointing out since I've been so hard on the guy because he's umped every Rockies baseball game this year. Uh, (laughs) But he had a really good game behind the plate. Very consistent zone. I figured at some point you'd come around on Drake. Um, (laughs) I'll just, I'll I'll leave it at that. Being a Drake's Cakes guy. Yeah, he he, he had a... A good game and you know the batter's eye there in Arizona is is you know kind of 
very much renowned. So I, I imagine that's something that also helps the, the home plate umpires too, sure. calling balls and strikes. So sure. uh, it, it's nice to see that the umpiring was not a factor one way or the other in this game. Always nice when that can be the case. So since I pointed out sometimes when it is, I figured I'd give a, a little footnote there. Uh, let's look forward just really quickly here. The Rockies, obviously, with two games left in Arizona. They're going to send John Gray to the hill against Robbie Ray in game three. John still looking for it. You know, got beat up by the Dodgers a little bit the last time out. Hasn't really had a, a great game yet this year. The The ones he's had that he's kept the team in, he's looked fine, but we're, we're still looking for that velo. We're still seeing if he can find a way to sit on 95 or 96 instead of 93, 94. The sliders looked good, but beyond that, he's still a pitcher out there searching for it. He has been better away from Coors Field with the 354 ERA uh, as opposed to the 623 in general. Robbie Ray also struggling a bit this season with the 833 ERA does the left-handed pitcher have. That's not what you're looking for. And uh, he gave out five runs last time against the Giants, and you couldn't name half of the hitters on the Giants. But the Giants have won like seven games in a row pending whatever happened with the Dodgers late tonight. Yeah, Donovan Solano, uh, walk-off home run to give the Giants really? their seventh straight win. And again, with the podcast coming... You should keep talking trash about Donovan Solano. For, let's, just speak of it. let's just keep it up so that it'll hit 400 this year. And well, I think he'll ultimately be traded. I think I think that'll be the thing. Straight Giants up. should obviously deal while you know the, the stock is highest. But you know the one thing that Gray needs to do, and, and maybe this makes it simpler, makes it easier for him to you know, exceed expectations is just give the Rockies some length. You know, you take five innings, but six, you know, again, almost a Coors Field start. Hey, six innings, four earned runs would be fantastic because still we're not, we're not seeing those off days for a while. There's, there's actually this weekend series isn't three games. It's four games. They play Sunday at one and then they play next Monday, a night game, which is really weird. And then they welcome the Giants. So, I mean, these games, Yes, you're 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 making that face as you should be. It's it's yeah. one of those things that I noticed immediately on the schedule, and it just doesn't make any sense. So the Padres will just have Sunday night in Denver for no reason whatsoever. They won't be able to go home until after the game Monday night. So, but but those are again the no off days. So this this bullpen is really right. you know trudging along. They're they're doing what they need to do, but you're not going to be able to to throw all four of those guys you did tonight back out again right. two of them hopefully you know you could you could possibly do that with but again you you've got a day game coming up or rather uh, an afternoon game 410 start i believe on thursday and you've got the the set next seven games at home against nl west opponents games that you now need to win so you know what john length you just need to worry about length and maybe that that makes it all the more easier for him yeah yeah i like that take uh, i think now is uh, would be it's obviously the perfect time for John to come out and and really have things start clicking for him this season. And we've seen him in years past have slow starts. And eh, last time I did it, it worked. I'll, I'll predict another good one for him. I I, I think he's going to go out there. I think he's going to get the strikeout pitch working. I think we're going to see a few more pitches touching up there in the ninety five ninety six mile an hour range with that fastball and that's going to be a really good sign we're we're going to need to see that 
eventually out of him, and I do think it's there. <clears throat> I do think it's coming, and so, yeah, I, I still think you know it, it's going to be a bit of a toss-up game, but obviously if the Rockies can secure the series win before sending Kyle Freeland to the mound against Gallon, who we all know is very difficult to beat, but then that's, that's almost a bonus game as you're trying to finish out a sweep, and uh, that would that would be a great position to be in. So good time for John Gray to, to come out to the place where he once obviously had giant nightmares in the wild card game in, in 17 and do what he can to put all that behind him and get after these guys. For sure, yeah. The team's at 500, so he's going to want to contribute to that and say, hey, let's get us back over the hump, get back to our, our winning ways and really try to you know sustain us, especially since the Diamondbacks are down. You know, we right. anyone who watched those games against the Rockies uh, or any of the Rockies games in the past week just saw kind of how listless they were and just just not enjoying the game. You know, just just seemed to just be there in, in body, but certainly not as much in mind and spirit. And you know, the Diamondbacks have that look to them a little bit right now. So hey, take advantage of that. See if you can get a four game sweep and and keep this thing rolling. Yeah especially momentum into that Padres series. So we'll be here through all of it. Make sure you're hanging around with us for all of those games. Uh, the best ways to do that are, of course, to subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of the written content. You can follow us on social media at Drew Creaseman at Patrick D. Lyons, at DNVR underscore Rockies. Of course, you can hit us up anytime on email. I forget sometimes to throw those out there. Drew or Patrick at the DNVR.com. If you've got questions for us and you're not on social media, let us know. I know I got a big one about DJ LeMayhew out there that I need to answer when the timing is right. Obviously, there's a lot of Rockies baseball stuff going on in there, but somebody asked me to tell the more full story of DJ LeMayhew, and, and I got that email, and I'm, I very much intend to do that when given uh, a little bit of time and space to do so. In fact, we may even do a, a little special offshoot and, and make it um, something that's not just part of the podcast. I think maybe something that people can go to and be like, here's the story of what happened. Uh, and also on Wednesday, uh, a little bit of the trade deadline preview. Who are mm -hmm. some of the guys the Rockies could possibly be targeting out there? And, you know, spoiler alert, make a list of your top five guys that you want to see in purple. Cross them all off because yeah. they won't all be getting them. <laughs> But still, do that and send them to us so we can pretend like things might happen. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for hanging out and continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that we will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.